0: So, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to do something slightly different this morning from my normal approach. And I need to credit this material, okay? Uh, This is not all my material. I wish it was. Um, But I want to credit two great people. Um, uh, One of them is Stephen Furtick, the pastor from Elevation Church in America, one of the fastest growing churches in America, because some of this framework and material is his material. So, I want to credit him. Uh, But the other one is I want to credit my wife. Because some of this material is hers as well. She spoke on this text in Africa many years ago. And she used an illustration that I want to use this morning. So I'm, I'm crediting two amazing people of God. Stephen Furtick and my wife. And One, one, of, them, one of them is more amazing than the other. My wife... My wife, all right? Some of you are looking at me like, who's that then? Okay. So anyway, so I want to credit that and obviously there's some of my thoughts and ideas mixed in here as well. So John chapter four is where we're going, okay? And I'm going to take you through this story this morning. Don't go there yet, Ryan. This is the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another human being in the Gospels. You may not know that. I didn't know that. This is the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another human being in the whole of the Gospels. Now, Everything in the Bible is important, but the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another human being has got to be really important. And in this story, we never know this person's name. We only know them as woman. And I think the reason why we never know this person's name is because if we did know their name, this would be Jesus and Martha's conversation, or Jesus and Mary's conversation, or Jesus and Sarah, or whoever else. But because we never know the name, maybe it's easier for you and I to insert our name in. Because ultimately, this isn't a story about Jesus and a woman. This is a story about Jesus and you and me. And I want to I walk you through the Bible text this morning and pull out some thoughts and ideas around this whole thing of what do we do when we feel thirsty, where and how do we drink, That's what we're going to look at this morning. So, John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So we'll pause there. Apparently, Jesus was baptizing more people than the guy whose nickname was the baptizer. That's interesting, isn't it? And it created a religious storm around the area. But actually, the rumours were inaccurate because it wasn't Jesus that was doing all the baptising. It was actually his disciples that were doing it in his name. And what happened was basically, whatever the reason was, there was a buzz happening around Jesus. Jesus and the Jesus movement had traction. It was hashtag Jesus. It was all going on. It was a bit like launch weekend for us, okay, when everybody knew about who we were and the billboards were out there and the balloons were going and the social media was going crazy. It was all happening around Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Verse three, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. When it's all buzzing around him and it's hashtag Jesus and it's all going well, Jesus clears off and heads north. Jesus heads north. It seems a strange thing to do. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. Again, pause it here. He is Jesus who's the creator of the universe. He didn't have to go anywhere. But the Bible says he had to go through Samaria. I don't think he had to, but I think he had to, as we'll see in a moment. Now, just to get this into context, some geography. Um, Samaria lies in between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. So he's in Judea, he's heading north, so yes, you could say he had to go to marriage. He didn't, he could have gone round it. Would have taken longer, but he could have gone round it. But he didn't, he went through it. And the significance of going through it is not about geography, it's about history. You see, in the Jewish history, the people that we call the Samaritans were once upon a time Jews. And under the great uh, division of uh, invasions and exile that went on, the northern kingdoms were were invaded by the Assyrians and many of them were taken off into captivity. But some were left and the Assyrians came and intermarried with the Jews in a way to try and dilute their faith and their culture and their religion. And they went into that. But in the south, those Jews were taken off into Babylon. People like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And even though they were taken off, they eventually came back to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city walls. But they'd held on to their Jewishness. They'd held on to their faith. They'd held on to their culture. They remained in their eyes pure, whereas the guys in the north were defiled. The guys in the south looked at the guys in the north Okay, some things don't change that much, do they, in terms of all this stuff. They basically looked at the guys in the north and said, you're not real Jews and we hate you for it. And, and, and here's the thing. For them, you know, hearing Jesus say in, in another occasion, remember Jesus told a parable and he called it the what Samaritan? The good Samaritan. To a Jew, hearing the good Samaritan, that's an oxymoron. An oxymoron is when you've got two things which are opposite placed together, like resident alien. Genuine imitation. You ever had that when you're abroad? What's a genuine imitation? Jumbo shrimp, open secret, airline food. They're like oxymorons, okay? They're two things that shouldn't exist together. Good Samaritan is an oxymoron. Because for the Jew, when they looked at the Samaritans, they said, You guys defiled yourself. You intermarried. You're not pure. And then 400 years before Jesus, when the guys come back uh, from Babylon to begin to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city walls, the Samaritans offer help and the Jews in the south refuse the help. They say, we'd have help from anybody before we had help from you. That's the racial and ethnic hatred and division between the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jesus had to go through Samaria. No, he really didn't, but yes, he really did. You see, Jesus will always move away from religious drama to meet the need of a hurting person. I love that about him, don't you? So where that religious drama is going on and where there's the buzz and the hashtag Jesus and everything's happening and it's creating a bit of you know, conversation and a bit of debate and a bit of discussion and a bit of controversy, he says, you know what, I'm going to move away from that and I'm going to head to meet the need of a hurting, needy, thirsty person. A Samaritan person. That's amazing. So surely if he's meeting a Samaritan, he's going to meet the top person in Samaria, isn't he? He's got to be the mayor. He's got to be like a Donald Trump kind of character. Or maybe the top sportsman or the rock star in Samaria. Actually, this is who he's going to meet. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon." Jacob's well is still there to this day and it's important in Jewish life and history what I love though about these few verses is is, it says this Jesus tired as he was from the journey I love that about Jesus don't you the creator of the universe in his humanity is tired I love that because I'm tired too aren't you (laughs) I'm really tired. Me and Alison really need a holiday. I'm sure many of you are tired and you're saying, oh, it's all right for you. You know, I get that. But what I love is that Jesus in his humanity understands who we are. He's not this distant, separate, up there kind of God, he is that, but he's the God who in his humanity, he gets it, he was tired as we are, he was hungry as we are, he was thirsty as we are, he was tempted as we are, he was hurt as we are, he knew grief as we do as well, and I love that, because that means he can empathise with us, and can meet us right where we are, and then the appointment in his diary shows up. And it's not the mayor, and it's not the Donald Trump of Samaria, and it's not the rock star, and it's not the Ronaldo or Messi. It's not anybody famous. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. This is so wrong in every single way. She's a woman, and she's a Samaritan. He's a man, he's a Jew, and he's a rabbi. In Jewish culture in this day, men didn't talk to women, Jews didn't talk to to Samaritans, and definitely a Jewish male rabbi would not talk to a, a, a Samaritan woman. This was wrong at every single level. And what follows is this longest recorded conversation in the Bible between Jesus and another person. And it starts with Jesus asking her a question, will you give me a drink? Now before we look at that question, it's really important to note that she comes at noon. Now that's a crazy time to come for water. Because in Israel at, this, at this, this time, that's the hottest part of the day. But the reason, as we'll find out later, that she comes at noon, is that that's the time when everyone else is in their houses because it's shady because it's so hot. She wants to come when nobody else is there to see her. Because this woman isn't just coming with a bucket. This woman is coming with some baggage. This woman is coming with some reputation. This woman is coming thirsty. And she comes at noon and she sees this guy sat down by a well. And then he begins to initiate the conversation, not by telling her how much he knows, but by asking her a question. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Now, I want to see ourselves in both of these people in this story. Because in one sense, I want to see you as Jesus, and I want you to see yourself as the woman. Because we are called, if you're a Christian this morning, and I know you might all not be, or listening to us. If you're a Christian this morning, and you're a follower of Jesus, we are called to love people like Jesus loves them. Am I right? So how does Jesus love? I think you see something so important in this. You see, even though this woman comes with all this past and all this baggage and all this reputation, she wants to stay away from people because she's so ashamed. Here's Jesus as a rabbi. He knows stuff. He knows some stuff as we'll find out later. But he doesn't open up the conversation by telling her where she's gone wrong or telling her how much he knows or by saying how much truth is there. He asks her a question. He invites her into a relationship. You see, questions establish relationship. I am staggered at how many times I have conversations with people when they never ever ask me a single question. And we've been out for dinner with people, you know, even friends and other people, and I come away and think, you did not ask me a single question the whole of our interaction. You do not establish relationship well unless you ask questions. But so often we want to tell people what we know rather than invite them into a conversation. And Jesus used the power of question to draw the woman into something, which we'll see in a moment. Now, before we look at the woman, I want us to look at yourself. I want you to imagine, then, that you are the Jesus character. How do we connect with people, and how do we love people like Jesus loves people? Firstly, I think it means it's got to start with people that we actually know. Are we willing to ask each other some questions? Questions help us build relationship. Questions help draw people out. Socrates, the Greek philosopher, developed something that's called the Socratic method. He went around uh, developing, uh, discipling and mentoring younger people, not by telling them how much he knew, but by asking them questions. Because when you ask a question, then the person who you're asking the question of needs to find the answer for themselves. And your job is to guide them and help them to find that. And this was better modeled by nobody other than Jesus, who was the master of asking questions But I want to suggest that there's also some other dynamic to this. There's people that, how many of you got any friends? It's very embarrassing to put your hands up here for everybody else, I know that. But how many of you love your friends and care for your friends? Okay, now here's the thing. We can also ask questions in order to help our friends, listen, when we see or sense that they may be going down a road that is damaging or destructive for them. You see, one of the things that's happened in our culture is that I think we love the friendship more than we actually love the friend. And we see some people in our life and in our world, and maybe young people, you get this. We all get this. And we so value the friendship because it's, we're part of that as well. And I get that. We don't, want to, we don't want to risk losing the friendship. And so when we see something in a friend, we would rather hold on to the friendship than confront the friend. But you can confront the friend in a way that is loving as well as truthful. You see, Jesus, everything that Jesus did was always loving. But everything that Jesus did was also always truthful. Everything that Jesus did was often against modern culture. But everything that Jesus did was always loving and gracious. And I think what we've done in our culture is we've elevated love to this whole kind of Top thing where we say, if it's love, it must be true. But I love her, but I love him, but I love it. So therefore, love equals truth. But you cannot separate love out from truth. You cannot just say, because it's love, it's truth. It's actually, is it truth, then it's love. God is love, and God is truth. And Paul says, love rejoices with the truth. Then he says, we speak the truth in love, so we grow up into him who is the head. We cannot separate love out from truth. Jesus spoke truth into this woman's life, but he didn't do it in a harsh way. He did it by starting to initiate relationship through the asking of questions. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to be someone that starts to ask questions and draws people out, especially the people that you know. But it's also the people that you don't know that you come into contact with. You know, he has this conversation at the well, and, and, and for the younger ones in, in the room, you think maybe this is a small DJ booth. The older ones, you're waiting for the Punch and Judy show, puppet show. I want you to imagine that this is a well. What Jesus did is he sat down at the water fountain and he initiated a conversation with someone that he didn't know. And there will be moments when you and I will connect with people who we don't necessarily know all that well or know at all. And maybe Jesus has put those people together for a conversation. Maybe an opportunity for you to share some life-giving water into that situation. This last week while we were away at conference... um, whole group of us went out for a meal uh, one night and we were sat in the restaurant and uh, we were having a little bit of banter and conversation with the waiter. And a friend of mine who is from another church, he does this a lot actually, it's very inspiring. Uh, He he was entering some conversation and we all were. And then towards the end of the the evening, or the end of the meal rather, when the guy came to bring the bill over, my friend said to him, "Are, are you the main man here? And he said, well, depends what you mean by main man, a little bit more banter. And he said, how's business going? And he said, yeah, it's going all right. And he said, you've been so good with us. Would you mind if we prayed for you just as we finished? We just want to pray a blessing over your business. And uh, the guy said, I don't mind. He was a little bit like, oh. And so literally my friend just stood up right in the restaurant, no big deal. I didn't get the keyboard out or any of that kind of thing. You know, we didn't have any music, it was fine. And he just put his hand on his shoulder and just prayed for him that God would bless his business. He didn't fall down on his knees and say, what must I do to be saved? But what he did do, I think, was he had a a different experience with people who were Christians. We'd already said that we were Christian ministers. He thought we were joking. Maybe that was the amount of beer that other people were drinking, not myself. But that was a great little interaction and then on the way home, we, we dropped this guy off, and then there was the four of us. It was me, Dan, and Mike, and Simon. And as we came up to the, uh, the roundabout by the Stag and Three Horseshoes, if you know that top of Mucklow Hill, there was a lady who'd broken down in a BMW right on the roundabout, which is so frustrating, isn't it? And we watched all the cars honking at her and going around, and we stopped them. We went in the window. I said, hey, are you all right? She said, no, I'm not all right, with some other words. And we said, could we help you? So we pulled the car over and we pushed the car away and we we had an interaction with her. And again, I wanted to pray for her, but her language was so bad about everybody else on the road, I thought, maybe not. So we just kind of said, God bless you and went. Little moments, little opportunities that you and I get all the time to say, hey, could we ask a question? Could we invite a relationship? Could we share some life? It's not to big us up or me up or us up at all. You get those opportunities all the time. That's the kind of thing that I think God is looking for. And what Jesus did was he used the bucket to draw her to a well. And I want to show you how he did that. So Abby is going to help me. There's no reference from Abby to the woman in the story, so I don't even think that. But basically what Jesus did is that Jesus used the bucket that the woman had To draw And so what he did, and we're going to show you, I'm going to track you through this. What he basically did is that every time he asked a question, he started drawing her away from the bucket or bringing the bucket actually to where he wanted it to be, which was the well. And that's what he's doing with you and I. But what we do is that we often still focus so much on the bucket that what we do is that we ask questions and defend and deny, and it pulls us away from the well. And that's why we're so empty. And Jesus is always, always trying to draw her and pull her back to the well. But what she does is, oh, no, no. I'd much rather hold on to my bucket because I'm secure in my bucket because I know what my bucket is. And my bucket will do it. And so we pull away. And we pull away with the bucket. And she says, oh, yeah, but you've got the bucket. You're still thirsty, girl. You're still thirsty. What you need to do is you need to come back. You need to come back to the well. And then what we do, you and I, we say, no, actually, I'm all right, thanks. I'll just take my bucket and I'll just run around a little bit more with my bucket. And it goes on and on. Oh, that was a bit tough. <laughs> Thanks, Abby, thank you. And that's what we do. And you see, I'll, I'll open that up a little bit more. That's, that's all to this interaction. Is She's focused on the bucket, but Jesus is focused on the well. And what happens here? Let, let's look at it. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So then Jesus is trying to pull her. So he draws her closer. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. But then she starts to pull away from the well again, Sir, the woman said, "You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our Father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And then he pulls about. Jesus answered, "Everyone who knows this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water, I give them, because it 's not about the bucket, it's about the well." Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is trying to draw her to a well, but she's focused on the bucket. She's focused on the bucket. Jesus is trying to draw her to a well. Can I just say, it's interesting. Whenever you start a question with Jesus like this, you have nothing, Jesus, she says, you have nothing to draw with, you're on dodgy ground. Because here's the guy that takes a little packed lunch and feeds a multitude with it. Takes a little bit of mud off the ground, spits on it, puts it in a guy's eye, and he gets healed from blindness. So don't ever say to Jesus, you have nothing to, because he has. You have nothing to draw with. Oh, he really does. He really can draw. And and what happens is that we think the app for our thirst is a bucket, but it's not. It's a well. And then she finally gets it. Or does she? Verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Ah, there you are. It's the bucket again. You're missing it. It's not about the bucket. It's about the well. Verse 16. So he goes deeper. He told her, go call your husband and come back. There's an invitation. But verse 17. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Let me just pause for a moment. This is not Jesus condemning people who've been married a lot of times. If that's your scenario, please don't hear that. That's not what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is not condemning people who are living with other people who are not married. That is not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is this. He's saying, listen, darling. Although he's not saying that because that's patronizing. He's saying, listen, your bucket is relationships your bucket is relationships. You think that if you can find the right man, it will satisfy your thirst. And so you go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And that one is the perfect one until he isn't. And then you find another one and that's your bucket. And you're holding onto the bucket and I'm trying to draw you to a well. Because for you, it isn't about how many people you've been with. It's about the fact that your bucket, the thing that is disconnecting you from real life, from the thirst being satisfied and quenched, is relationships. And you won't drop the bucket in order to come to the well. But if you'd only drop the bucket, then you would come to a well. And a well that never runs dry. Interesting with this, um, I heard this story this week with this Bible verse, is this story of a woman that was getting married and she, she wanted the wedding cake to have a Bible verse written on it. So she phones the baker and she says, could you ice on 1 John 4:18?" Because John didn't just write a gospel, he wrote a letter as well. So the gospel is John and the letter is 1 John. 1 John 4:18, which basically says, perfect love, love casts out all fear. Great verse. What the baker heard was John 4:18. So he writes on the wedding cake, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband which is a whole different wedding celebration. Okay, definitely. But but you see, Jesus didn't give her what she wanted. Listen, folks, he gave her what she needed. He didn't give her what she wanted, but he did give her what she needed. And basically what he does is he says, look, you're looking to satisfy your thirst with the bucket. It's relationship, and you just think that if I can just get the right man, If I can just get the right woman, if I can just get the right relationship, then everything will be okay. Listen, I'll say to you younger guys, please don't ever get down that trap. It's great having relationships, but it ain't all about the buckets. We will not be satisfied by just running around with buckets, because what we do is this. We say, okay, well, that's not working, so I need to get maybe a bigger one. Is that bigger? A different one. Maybe my bucket is popularity, yeah, maybe if I get enough likes on my Instagram pictures or get enough retweets or get enough likes or comments on, on Facebook, people will like me. And so we wake up in the morning and the very first thing we do is we check our social media. Has anybody liked? Because if, if they like me, then I'm okay and I'm satisfied. And of course we're not. Because it's not enough. Because that's a bucket. It's not a well. Okay, so maybe it's not popularity. So maybe, maybe I, I know. What about What about success? What about success because that's going to make me brighter and bigger isn't it so if i'm if i'm successful if i earn lots of money if i do lots of great things in my context if if the church gets big or or i get to preach at bigger things that's a bucket that's not a well and i'm going to run around and always have that sense of thirst and emptiness if all i do is focus on the bucket so maybe we say, okay so maybe it's not that maybe maybe we go for maybe we go for something that's a bit more fun maybe we go for pleasure So if pleasure is our bucket and we'll run around with that, then then we'll be satisfied. And of course we do that for a bit and gets a little tiring, doesn't it? So it doesn't it doesn't scratch the itch. Because that's a bucket, it's not a well. So so maybe we say, okay, what, what about then? Okay, not pleasure. Let's go to the other extreme. Let's go to hard work. Let's go to hard work. Let's do some purpose. Maybe for you younger guys, it's exams. Okay, you should work hard in exams, all right? I'm not saying you shouldn't. But maybe if I could work really hard or, you know, get a great job or, or pass all my exams, get to a great university or get a hot, if I could just be hard working. But that's a bucket, it's not a well. And Jesus is saying, why don't you drop your bucket and why don't you come to the well? Because the well is where I'm at. The well is where I can satisfy that thirst. The well is where you can drink. And so uh, maybe we say, well, okay, and and maybe like the woman, (laughs) and I had this one, and Alison said to me, you're surely not going to say love bucket, are you? And I said, darling, you are a prophetess. Maybe for us it's love. We could just fall in love That's a bucket. So maybe we say, okay, none of them then, but maybe then I need to get me a really, really big fancy one. This one's from Hagley, by the way. (laughs) A really big fancy one that looks really cool and vintage and all that. That'll do it, won't it? But it doesn't do it, does it? If I get a bigger car, that'll do. I get a bigger house, that'll do. I am nearly going to say I'll get a bigger wife. But you know what I'm saying? I'll get a bigger car or a bigger house or, or go on a bigger holiday or do a bigger thing or a fancier thing or a posh thing or whatever. And actually, folks, we all know that that's a bucket, isn't it? And Jesus said, why don't you drop the bucket and come to the well? Why don't you drop the bucket and come to the well? She came to a well with a bucket. And she found a well that didn't need a bucket. She came to a well and met a well. And that changed everything. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. She's getting it. Oh, but then she pulls away again. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied. The, believe me, a time is coming when you'll neither worship the Father on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Basically, that's a bucket. He's saying, Listen. Where you worship, where I worship, is a bucket. It's not the well. You know, I'm trying to draw you to a well, and you're pulling me back to a bucket. Hillsong or Bethel, who gives a rip? Jesus doesn't care. But we get caught up in these kind of buckets. They're great. There's nothing wrong with a bucket, but it's not a well. You're doing this, she says. We do this. Which is the right bucket? He says, it's not about the bucket. It's about the well. When will you drop your jolly bucket, and when will you come to the well? Then he goes on to say, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So drop your bucket and come to a well. It's all about relationship. It's all about the well. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I love that, because I, I can just imagine her. She's still holding a bucket. When Jesus comes, well, when Christ comes, she's saying, then he'll explain everything to us. She's holding, she's defending, she's denying, she's protecting. And then imagine the drama when he looks at her in the eyes with love and compassion. And then he says this, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. (laughs) Christianity is only hard when you're not in love. You'll never be in love with God if your focus is always on the bucket rather than on the well. I want to invite the band to come back up. And I want to invite you guys to think about something now. I want to invite you to drop your bucket. So I want you to really stay with it, guys. Don't allow distraction to get you right now. The guys are going to sing a song to you. This is a song from a band called Casting Crowns. It's a great band and a great song. And basically, this song is taken out of this story. And as you hear the lyrics come out that Luke and Abby will sing, you know, there's the invitation all the time that Jesus gave to this woman. This woman who had no name. She did have a name, but we don't know it. Because this woman is you and this woman is me. And we're so focused on our buckets that we miss out the invitation to the well. So I want to encourage you this morning, drop your bucket and come to the well. You know, when, um, when that happens, when you leave it all behind and come to the well, something else happens, something else happened in the story. Let's look at the very next verse. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a the woman. Then you could say, shot. But no one asks, what do you want or why are you talking with a Then leaving her water jar, so then leaving her bucket, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? You see, when you come to the well, you ain't looking at your bucket any longer. Everything in the whole story was about her bucket because she came to a well, she found a well, and then she became a well. Because she goes back into the community and she goes back to the people who she was trying to keep away from because of shame. But when you meet Jesus, when you drink from Him, the shame goes, the fear goes, the guilt goes, the bucket goes, you become a well yourself. She couldn't help, it was pouring out of her. The very people she was trying to keep away from, now she can't keep away from because she's met the well and His name is Jesus. So I want to invite you this morning to drop your bucket and come to the well. For some of you, that may be for the very first time. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never come into a relationship with Him. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do that. For some of you, it's going to mean that you've been running on empty for so long. Maybe running around with this bucket or this bucket or the other one and maybe it's time just to drop the jolly bucket and come to the well. So let's pray for a moment. Let's just close our eyes just for a moment. Lord, help us right now. Holy Spirit, we need you. So while our eyes are closed, please no one look around. I want to invite you. Is there anybody here this morning? You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never come to the well for the first time. You don't really know what I'm talking about, but you know there's something inside of you that wants to know God. God loves you. He would go out of His way to sit at your place, to visit your house. He had to go through Samaria, even though he didn't, he did, because she was there. And he would go anywhere, move anything adjust anything to have a relationship with you. So is there anyone here in this place and you wanna say this morning, that's me. I wanna know God for the first time. I've never given my life to Jesus, whether you're young or not so young. Is there anyone here this morning? While our eyes are closed, I want to invite you. If there is anyone, all I want you to do is just pop your hand up so I can see it and you know you've done it, and then I can pray for you. Is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus? You know you've been. Thank you at the back. Thank you, sir. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Father, we want to thank you. God, the Bible says that there will be rejoicing in heaven when one person comes home. God, we celebrate, we celebrate that this morning and we say, thank you, God. And Father, for the rest of us, Lord, maybe we're running on empty. Maybe some of us are running around so busy, so focused on the bucket that we missed out on the well. And Lord, today we want to drop the bucket and we want to come to the well. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand. And how I want to ask you to, invite you to respond this morning is in two ways. Let's stand together. For some of us, I want to encourage you to respond in worship as we're going to worship now. We're going to sing a great song we've been learning here. It's a song that we sang quite a lot at the conference this week as well. And this speaks about life. It speaks about breath. It speaks about energy. It speaks about what God has done in our life. It's all about relationship. And I want to invite you to respond by worshiping Him this morning, right where you are. But I know for many of us, we need to also acknowledge that we've been running on empty for way too long. And so I want to invite you to acknowledge that, to drop your bucket and to come to the well. The well is not me, the well is not us, the well is Jesus. But in order that you know that that's what you're doing, I want to invite you to come out to the front and someone will love to pray for you. Or maybe if you don't want to do that, maybe you touch the, knock the person next to you and say, Hey, would you pray for me? The first service we had people praying for each other all over, and then we had people at the front. It was beautiful seeing people drop their bucket and come to the well. So, as we worship, for some of you, maybe you want to just respond by worshiping God where you are, but some of you know that you've been running on empty for way too long. And as Jesus would say, drop your bucket and come to the well. We would love to pray for you this morning. Thanks, guys. You give life, you are life.